and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 195, recorded on June 27th, 2021. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. We start with the release of Rocky Linux 8.4. As you may recall, Rocky Linux was one of the first traditional CentOS alternatives announced, and this week the gold master of their first release shipped. Rocky Linux 8.4 is binary compatible, of course, with Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8.4, making it possible to run apps built for Red Hat Enterprise Linux on Rocky Linux, in theory, without too much trouble. Mm, Developers love that. The Green Obsidian was its codename, (laughs) also known as Rocky 8.4, and it's pretty great to see this milestone. This is... This was one of the first we saw crop up, and now we've seen them reach this very important moment. And the team has a has a gift as part of this milestone. There is a migration script that existing RHEL 8.4 users can install and migrate to Rocky Linux. Now, beware, any distribution that's had its core repositories altered, removed, duplicated, maybe overwritten, you're going to have a bad time. You may just totally have a broke system, so be careful and back up. Uh, and another gotcha could be that Secure Boot is yet to be supported in Rocky 8.4, but the good news there is the team is working on that. Clearly still early days overall for Rocky Linux, and yeah, the team acknowledges that. But it does seem like a pretty good start and some momentum and community being built here. Looking back, 8.4 took seven months to go from a newly formed community all the way till today where we've got a release available not only for x86 but also arm 64 for its users free community support is available through the rocky linux mattermost irc and the forums and if you need something a little bit beyond that paid commercial support is currently available through ciq sticking with our theme of commercial support Ubuntu maker Canonical has announced they'll support open-source Blender on Windows, Mac, and Linux. This really all starts, though, back in May of 2020 with the release of Blender 2.83. And with that release, the Blender Foundation announced the start of their long-term support pilot program. That's a program aimed at ensuring that long-lasting Blender projects can still be executed using a stable version of Blender that doesn't change out from under them, but still have that Blender version get some of those critical fixes and patches throughout a two-year support lifespan. You can see how handy that could be for a Hollywood production that might be taking three or four years to actually create some of the visual effects. That's not uncommon. Well, just recently, on June 2nd, Blender 293 was released. This is the second release to enter this long-term support program by the Blender Foundation. And then, this week, Canonical announced that they've partnered up with the Blender Foundation to offer paid enterprise support around the long-term support versions of Blender. Canonical says, The support offering will include Blender LTS releases across Linux distributions, Microsoft Windows, and Mac OS. Canonical's engineers will engage directly with customers to provide comprehensive technical support to users. And they go on to say, Canonical will manage the entire support process, including integration with Blender's support infrastructure. And if you're already an Ubuntu Advantage customer, well, this is just one more support offering baked right in. As for what this new offering might cost, well, the standard 24x5 support package starts at 500 USD per year, or if you need advanced coverage, 24-7 support, that's 1,000. 
Yeah, that's for those really demanding directors that need immediate support when something isn't wrong with VFX. But honestly, in terms of enterprise price points, well, those really aren't too bad. Five hundred for the standard, a thousand a year for the for the you know high touch plan. That's actually a pretty good deal, and this seems like a clever move on Canonical's part. I could see Blender being really popular with Ubuntu workstations and Ubuntu-based workstations. So what Canonical's doing here is tying all of this together, and they're also saying at the same time, our engineers are going to handle your cross-platform support issues as well. Does this mean there are now folks working at Canonical who get paid to just play around with Blender in between those support calls? Maybe. We'll have to watch the job postings and see what comes out. But in the meantime, Canonical is making a move to be one of the best-supported Linux distributions on the RISC-V platform. Ubuntu now supports two RISC-V boards from Sci-5, the Hi5 Unleashed and the Hi5 Unmatched. Now, of course, we've covered Sci-5 pretty extensively on the show in the past. And just recently, they were in the news with rumors that Intel was looking to acquire the company. But in a blog post this week, Canonical wrote... Canonical's team is engaged in an ongoing process of porting Ubuntu to Hi5 boards, backed by the Sci5 engineering team, as part of a long-term collaboration between the two companies. Canonical goes on to say that RISC-V has a lot of potential and is becoming a competitive ISA in multiple markets. And that meant porting Ubuntu to RISC-V to become a reference OS for early adopters was kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, at least according to Canonical. And I see this here, and I think there's a couple of notable words in that quote of theirs, ongoing process. So this is a long-term thing, and they're collaborating. The two companies are working together. So you would think that potentially suggests future boards. There may be some collaboration there. So right now, practically speaking, there's essentially three Ubuntu images available for Sci-Fi users. The Unleashed supports Ubuntu 21.04 and 20.04, and the unmatched can run 2104. Well, just maybe sometime soon we'll have more Risk 5 boards laying around next to our Raspberry Pis or running in a server somewhere. And if you're developing for that, seems like at least right now, Ubuntu is probably the logical choice. In just a horrifying story that we wanted you to be aware of, Western Digital is recommending that customers unplug their MyBook live storage devices from the internet until further notice while the company investigates unexplained compromises that may have entirely wiped data from devices worldwide. Mass incidents of disk wiping came to light in a thread on Western Digital support form. To make matters worse, so far there are no reports of that deleted data later being restored. The affected model, known as MyBook Live, uses an Ethernet cable to connect to your local network. And then from there, users can remotely access their files and make configuration changes and maybe a whole lot more through Western Digital's cloud infrastructure. Yeah, and there's a wrinkle in this story, and that is that Western Digital stopped supporting the MyBook Live in 2015. Multiple users reported that the data loss coincided with a factory reset that had been performed on their devices, and one person posted a log that showed some unexplained behavior occurring on Wednesday. This is just unacceptable. And unfortunately, as we record right now, there's just limited information available. So it makes it really hard for us to make any kind of determination we can relay to you about what is causing this mass destruction. Western Digital Statement, well, it kind of implies that maybe customer accounts were compromised individually, and so it's a onesie-twosie thing, but then the support forms would seem to indicate otherwise. I don't know. I mean, if this event was triggered by some server-side process on their infrastructure, 
I'd have a lot of questions about why that is even possible. I mean, the stories of people losing their insurance policies or budgets, personal pictures, business data, that's that's just rough to read. If you know anyone that this has happened to, maybe a good moment to try and help if you can get some sort of self-hosted or Linux-powered solution that they actually have complete control over, maybe with your help, and one that can't be wiped remotely. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit towards a new account and support the show. Our friends at Linode make this possible. And when you go there, it's letting them know you heard it right here. We thank them for supporting us. And you can try out Linode with $100 for real and see why they are our cloud hosting provider of choice. They're fast, they have a great UI, and they have a ton of features that we love. And 11 data centers around the world. Linode has been doing this since 2003. And over the years, they've slowly built it into the best place to run virtualized Linux. And they have impressive support for various technologies you can use to manage your cloud at scale. You know, like Terraform? Terraform's well-known and widely used to manage infrastructure as code. And Linode is making an ebook available that will help you understand the underlying concepts of how it could be significant for you to leverage your infrastructure. A free ebook. We'll have that linked in the show notes. But go try them out. And if you ever run into any trouble, they're fancy, super great, totally the best support ever. And I mean it. They really are great. We'll help you out with 24-7 support by phone or ticket. And along with hundreds of guides and tutorials, they're going to help you get started. I love all of the guides because they inspire me to build things, too. And often it's just one click away with several applications you can deploy with very little effort or build it up from the ground up and learn something. And remember, without $100 credit, it's never been a better time to learn. Linode.com slash LAN. Go there and find out why we think they're just the best. Check out their S3-compatible object storage, which could up your backup game or maybe just be a great way to run a static website. Super fast networking and machines that are blazing fast. Go see why we use them for everything. Linode.com slash LAN. And thank you to our longtime supporters over at Ting. Go to linux.ting.com and get $25 off a great plant or a great phone. Ting just makes mobile so much simpler. Stop banging your head against all of these confusing plans with these weird small print items. Just go to linux.ting.com. Check out, like, their set 12 plan. It gives you 12 gigs of data with unlimited talk and text for 35 bucks a month. And they have plans that are perfect for families or plans that are great for individuals that don't use data or need all the data. Ting's got every plan covered with their award-winning customer service, nationwide LTE, and 5G coverage. I'm impressed as a Ting customer how real the 5G promise has been after years of hype. It's in my neighborhood, and it's mind-blowing. 100 megabits on Ting 5G. It's, it's so great. And I have... The freedom of no contract. No contract ever with Ting. So go pick Ting right now and choose from one of their great networks. It's simple to switch to Ting. Pretty much any phone will work because they've got lots of compatibility. And you can just get started by going to linux.ting.com. Check your current phone, create the account, get the plan that's just right for you, and then Ting will send you a SIM card. Cutting your phone bill in half has never been easier with Ting's new plans. The next generation of Ting Mobile, it's here. 
and it's better than ever. Go see how much you could save and then take $25 off at linux.ting.com. Windows 11 is making a lot of news this week. But one of the issues that has caught the attention of Linux users is Microsoft's requirement that computers running Windows 11 must have a TPM chip and it must be enabled. The TPM is a chip connected to your main motherboard. And what makes it special is a collection of registers called Platform Configuration Registers, or PCRs. When the system is reset, these registers are initialized, and then during the boot process, the system will generate cryptographic hashes of the various boot components and then pass those hashes back to the old TPM. Any modifications to the boot components thereafter will then change the value of all those hashes and then change the values recorded in the TPM. This is basically called measured boot because you're measuring all the different components going on, and then down the line, that lets you detect changes or do things like restrict access if you're not in the right measured state. BitLocker, for example, leverages the TPM to ensure that volumes can only be decrypted if the system booted as expected by all those measurements in the TPM. Now, why this is a concern to Linux users is many systems built to run Linux don't bother putting TPM in because it's not something currently used by Linux. And so these machines, which might otherwise be great dual booters, will just simply be left out. And not all Windows PCs have TPM necessarily turned on either. And that can be tricky for average users. But the primary concern here is creating a generation of PCs that might leave Linux out. Or I guess, Wes, it wouldn't be all Linux. It would just be any Linux that hasn't been signed by Microsoft. Yeah, because uh, in conjunction with the TPM is our old friend, Secure Boot. And, and the goal here is kind of partially to combine these two technologies together. because. Secure Boot allows the firmware to validate your bootloader before executing it, right? It's the bit that has your computer say, well, is this new OS you want to boot signed by Microsoft? Or, well, technically signed by whatever keys I am happen to be told to trust. Otherwise, I won't boot it. Yeah. Now, that works pretty well, but if you're also worried about firmware attacks and Microsoft says they are, well, the firmware itself could be backdoored and you would have no way to really verify that Secure Boot function correctly. And that's where some of these boot attacks come from. And that's where the TPM comes into play, because it turns out you can use that TPM to measure the secure boot state and detect if that changes and just further add boot security. Yeah, that's why they work well together. And that's why some Linux vendors have been open to implementing this. Uh, And obviously, making sure that your boot environment is secure and verified is critical. And that is a real world use case, especially one appealing to enterprise. However, all of that said, because I just want to play devil's advocate for those who are concerned here, all of what I've just said aside, I think the reality is, is Microsoft has been pushing this particular technology stack for over a decade. And the fact that it's taken this long for all of the pieces to be turned on, because, you know, they had some requirements in Windows 10, but it didn't have to be on by default. They've slowly been turning the temperature up on this particular issue for about a decade now. And that makes me think it's not a customer-driven issue, because if it was enterprise customers knocking on Satya Nadell's door saying we need more security, Microsoft would have flipped these bits on immediately. Maybe even enterprise versions would have it on by default. This would have already been a solved problem. The very fact that they've drugged this out for so long and have done this very slow, incremental approach actually makes me think this is a Microsoft-driven feature for Microsoft motivations which I just can't help but think perhaps some might be to leave some systems in a state where they're more like ARM systems. 
where they come with an x86 OS, perhaps that's been subsidized by a vendor relationship, and it's always going to run that particular x86 OS. Maybe it's a Linux, maybe it's something like Chrome OS, more than likely it's something like Windows 10. And that has to be part of the motivation here. So I do understand the Linux users who are concerned about this. The flip side, I think, Wes, and I wonder if you agree with this, is it feels like the Linux vendor ecosystem is healthy enough at this point that even if some Windows vendors make the decision either via laziness or intentionally to lock out other operating systems, it almost is uh, it's almost a non-issue to me because of these other vendors. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we've got a lot more options in the Linux space than we once did, including some bigger vendors that themselves are happy to ship Linux. So I don't see them shutting it out anytime soon. But it is a little bit worrying that we're seeing more of a closed, walled-off garden approach on the regular PC side of the fence as well. I mean, as Apple's been arguing in court lately, yes, it is more secure if you restrict what you can run on your computer. But I don't think that's a trade-off we've all agreed to make on some of these more traditional platforms. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And I, I just... We have seen so much of mobile UI and mobile use paradigm infect the desktop. And then we've kind of now, within the last couple of years rounded the corner and found the right balance there. And I just don't want to see that same mobile creep happen when it comes to locking down boot environments, locking down our machines. That's been a mistake, I think, in the mobile universe, at least for some phones and some types of devices. And I just hate to see backward steps taken in the PC industry, making that aspect more like mobile. Now, I should note that even in the worst case here, where you can only boot Microsoft software, for the moment, they are signing some distributions, bootloaders, right? Like You'll be able to boot Ubuntu on one of these machines. In theory, no problem, at least if booting from USB is enabled in the firmware. Yeah, and it seems like they've been a good faith player in that space for a while. They have a good track record there. So it's not alarm bells, but maybe slightly concerning to see a trend going in this direction. And good luck getting your Arch install booting up on there. And our last story is one that we've been watching develop for a long time. TrueNAS Scale 2106 Beta is now available. TrueNAS Scale is something kind of special. It's like FreeNAS, but not based on BSD. In fact, it's based on Debian Linux. There's kind of a range of these products now, Wes. Maybe we can help break them down. All right. Well, at the base, you've got TrueNAS, uh, the free public base version, TrueNAS Core. Now, this was previously known as FreeNAS, and that's probably what you know it as best. Then there was sort of the traditional TrueNAS, which is like the commercial big brother of traditional FreeNAS. That's TrueNAS Enterprise. Both of those are based on FreeBSD as usual. And then, as of January 2021, when we learned about this, there's TrueNAS Scale providing open-source hyper-converged infrastructure, including Linux containers and virtual machines. And yeah, that one is powered by Debian. That caught my attention because I liked FreeNAS and, and by extension, TrueNAS quite a bit, but honestly felt a little bit lost in, in any time something went a little sideways and I needed to actually go down to the command line. But now, with something based on Debian, using tools that I'm familiar with, it's kind of marrying the best of both worlds. So we gave it a go before the show, popped it on a machine and demoed it for a bit. And I'm really impressed with the interface. It's using their new slick UI that they've been developing for a little while. And it makes it outrageously simple to set up a, a ZFS pool and then start installing applications via Docker, which opens them up to a huge, huge, huge community of applications. Yeah, I think the flexibility of this is pretty key. I mean, they've had a lot of experience as a company making these UIs, managing your basic simple NAS devices. But they really stress here that 
TrueNAS Scale is all about the scale. You can take just a single node and it's still super simple for you as a home user to get set up. But if your needs start growing, maybe you're a small business and you get some additional locations, you can actually scale these systems out both individually on the compute side and individually on the storage side. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe part of what makes that quote unquote scale happen is I think there's some Kubernetes happening in the background because I noticed when I was deploying an image there was some Kubernetes commands executing on the console. Yeah, I mean, it's got all the Linux hits, Docker, Kubernetes, and KVM. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. And of course, a little bit of ZFS on the side with a nice UI and then their support from IX Systems. I think it's a pretty compelling product. I think it's everything I ever wanted from TrueNAS and FreeNAS, but now it's based on Linux. And this is really worth taking a look. Check out TrueNAS Scale. We'll have a link in the show notes. It's a pretty solid product, and it's really, I could see, the ideal small business server. You put this on there. You know, we started talking about the Western Digital Livebook. This is such a great example of an appliance you could build out of an x86 computer with a couple of hard drives. Our test rig had three hard drives, and it just saw all the disk and made a nice pool that we could use and start taking advantage of right away. It probably took 15 minutes to set up. Now, this is still beta, of course, but if you're interested in another contender in this space, maybe give it a go and uh, provide IX Systems some feedback. Yeah, they would love that. And we'll keep an eye on things and keep testing it as they finish it up. In the meantime, go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And at linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. But please, no TrueNAS scale bug reports. <laughs> Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We have two meetups coming up in early August in Salt Lake City and in Denver. And if you can go, we'd love to know. So join us at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting and sign up for one of those two meetups. And just a note, there'll be a slightly delayed episode next week, but you should still have your weekly Linux news on Monday with our take on everything that happened in Linux and open source. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>